Hey, podcast listeners. It is a happy Father's Day to you. And also with you. <laughs> oh, you guys are so funny. Skyward, you're here, right? Yeah, hi. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're remote recording right now. We prepare to get a lot more of this in the uh, future episodes because we're going to slowly start mo- – well, it's not going to be slowly, but we're going to start moving out of KMSU and Mankato and start taking this bad boy on the road. I'm coming to you through the interwebs like I wasn't before or something. Yeah, expect a lot of change with SHMC in the uh, coming weeks. Hopefully a new logo, a new theme. Uh, The Twitter feed has become super active, and you are seriously doing yourself a disservice if you do not follow us because we just got a new guy, Alec Peterson, who's tweeting for us on a regular basis, and that kid is so funny. And we're doing a new thing. If you tweet at us, at Superhero MC, any uh, sign-offs, stupid funny sign-offs, like uh, put the peanut butter in the jar, it doesn't have to be whatever you want. And we will say them at the end of every episode. You know it. We'll say your name, give you a shout-out, and we'll read your sign-offs because we want you to become more involved, super fans, with the show as much as possible. But this show is pretty ironic because... Like it, rain. Yes, yes. On your wedding day. <laughs> um, it's it's not a free ride though that you just can't take, and it is. Is it good advice? Oh, that you just can't take. Dang it! Yeah, uh, I messed up the lyrics. Oh, shoot yep. me. Doctor Amy Lauders came back for another episode all about her and Yay! her take on superheroines in comic books and superhero movies, which is a weird thing to come out on Father's Day, don't you think? <laughs> the timing could not have been better. Yeah, I didn't plan that really. I just kind of put it on a day, and I forgot that the 21st was Father's Day until, of course, Father's Day, like everyone else. We were going to do Spider. We were going to save Spider Man for this day, but. Uh... <laughs> or Batman, or anybody else who didn't have a dad. Daredevil. <laughs> uh, but this is all about. Well, dads do get mentioned a bit in the superheroines episode here, and it's really fun. Dr. Amy is super smart, and I know you guys weren't in it. You both took a sick day at the same time, but she and I have a lot of fun with this one, and I hope you do too. It is rich with cultural information because she is a doctor of cultural studies, and she is absolutely perfect for this podcast, and we hope to have her on more, and just I can't say enough nice things about her. Always fun, always informative, always fun formative. <laughs> yeah. So in, infinitive. Infinitive. That's Thank a good you. word. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> All right then. Without further ado, here is bonus episode Superheroines with Dr. Amy Lauders. Enjoy everybody.
Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club. I am your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined today by the doctor, Amy Lauders, and no others. <laughs> ben and Skyler took a sick day. It's all me, all the time today. Um, movie review podcasts are a dime a dozen. Here at SHMC, we like to call ourselves a movie discussion podcast. We cover everything else about movies you maybe didn't notice, including their budgets, music, source books, and hell, even the science. But today, you're in for something special, something new, spe- something womany? <laughs> something wonderful, super heroines of the movies. Indeed. So this episode, <laughs> Amy felt a little cut off back in <laughs> Iron Man 2. And I thought it would be a fun idea to just have her own little fun thing where she can talk as much as she wants about the superheroines of the superhero movies and comic books of time and all this knowledge that is swirling in your brain, I'm sure, that you just don't have the amount of time to spill out here. You can have this. So, without further ado, Amy, for Mr. Miss, Miss Doctor, <laughs> feel free to give us your spiel on these superheroines, where would you like to start? Oh, there are so many places to start when it, we talk about women in superhero movies. It's hard to stick with just women in superhero movies because women in comics have, have got a really, really long history. And we, we see them in lots of different ways, but you know, in three primary categories. We see women as victims, often. Women as support staff. And then, of course, we have women as heroines. And what kind of tripped this discussion when we were talking Iron Man 2 was the Black Widow, who's one of my favorite characters in that whole franchise. And that uh, got me thinking, too, a lot about how uh, women in general are being portrayed in the movies. And I, I, uh, I kind of have an outline. <laughs> Good. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the, we doctor types, we do this whole working outline thing. We emphasize structure here at yes. Superhero Movie Club. <laughs> um, so I, I thought I would talk about just a select number of the heroines uh, that have been coming up in recent superhero movies. Notice our, our theme this week ended up with uh, Wonder Woman, who can, you know, stop a war with love. Oh, that is the best line of that theme. It is the best line ever. <laughs> And you have to you have to understand that that Wonder Woman the television series came out in the seventies at the uh, the height of the second wave of the women's movement, and you know there was a lot of a lot of idea that uh, you know women could you know soften the wars, soften the world, make make world peace happen. Isn't the first episode of Wonder Woman she defeats Nazis by like telling them about their feelings? Exactly. Oh. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Genius. <laughs> So genius. There's a, there's a lot of this. There was a, a lot of grandiose thoughts about what women could do if they had political power, and I'm not entirely sure that they've been exercised. We 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 you know we women are are you know we've got some political power and we've got some positions going on, but you know things haven't changed all that much, which is kind of apparent when you look at some of pop pop cultures today. But. Now, if you want to talk about heroines, there's two different kinds of heroines we see in in superhero movies, and one is the unsuperpowered. And the other is the superpowered. And what do I mean by unsuperpowered? Meaning there's no radioactive spider bites, there's no mutations, there's no these are just just ordinary women doing extraordinary things, primarily. Mm-hmm. That's the category I'm looking at. And Lois Lane is probably the one at the top of the list when we talk about famous unsuperpowered superheroines. Because she's sort of the foil to Superman and Clark Kent. Um, and in fact it's kind of invented that way back in the thirties, in the original version of the Superman 
mythos. Um, the uh, creators of, of uh, Superman put Lois Lane in uh, in their comics as a kind of a cosmic joke to begin with. But it was kind of a joke because uh, Schuster and Siegel were kind of geeky guys who were creating this superpowered character. And they they were at the time also not very popular with the ladies. And they thought it would be a really funny thing if they had this really smart, beautiful, gorgeous woman who just couldn't figure out that this person in front of her was a superhero. Didn't they actually hire a model like via the mail and sort of someone show up at the door to model the Lois Lane caricature? And that ended up being, not Schuster, Jerry Siegel's wife. You know, I don't know. That that, <laughs> that that sounds kind of apocryphal to me, but I wouldn't be surprised. Because, you know, for a very long time, then, that's what Lois Lane's purpose was. It was to be rescued by Superman and to be the, the uh, butt of that joke. That she couldn't really see what was in front of her. But that sort of changed over the last, you know, 20, 30 years or so. And I think that it starts in the 90s with, um, well, really, really comes to fruition in the 90s with the television show Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which sort of puts Lois Lane on the same playing field as Clark Kent. And they become more partners in that production than they had been in previous incarnations. And uh, they also, throughout the course of that series, get married. She figures out the secret. She doesn't wait for it to be told to her. And there's there's a lot that goes on with that series that also then plays out in the comic books. And there was some some concerted effort on the part of both production teams during the time that the show was aired to sort of line up their storylines. There was a planned reveal of Lois Lane uh, or planned reveal of Clark Kent to Lois Lane in the comics that waited until they revealed it on the television show. And then there was a planned wedding in the comic books that waited until the television show. Yeah, the wedding had to get postponed in the comic books. And because of its postponement, they replaced that storyline with the death of Superman. Yeah, <laughs> which, you know, has caused all sorts of problems <laughs> in, in the multiverses. But, you know, Lois Lane, from that point, as, as, a, as, a, as a character, as a heroine, beyond the fact that she started out as the butt of this joke, and that joke was ongoing right up till the 90s, she's also one of the first women in pop culture to be a an investigative reporter, to be a working career woman, to be someone beyond the wife-mother trope that, that was really part of what the first wave and second wave of the feminist movement were not exactly fighting against, but they were definitely fighting for women to have more recognition in career centers and more recognition nationally. And Lois Lane is sort of a role model in that in that respect and continues to be, especially when, when – uh, you know, in the 90s and then in the early 2000s, the, the character was let in on the joke, was more of a partner to Clark Kent, more of a partner to Superman, even in the comics. Um, and that sort of manifested in the films, too, in a limited kind of a way. I was sort of disappointed with Lo- Lois Lane's portrayal in the more recent Superman movies in one way. The Man of Steel? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Man of Steel was was kind of kind of a disappointment to me in terms of the way that the, that uh, Lois was characterized. But it's hard to get a feel for her as a character if you don't take into account the fact that she's a heroine in her own right. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't if she doesn't recognize that way, it's hard to work with her unless she's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Poor Lois Lane, is she a joke? Is she a heroine? I don't know. But for women anyway, she's representational of a career woman and has been since the thirties. So she's she's got some some legs in terms of a a role model. I'm sure she was a role model for me. Frankly, I mean, I, I was a journalist in part because Lois Lane was inspirational. Yeah, she's a role model for me, too. Well, good. <laughs> I've always strived to be a strong, independent woman. Well, good for you. 
it's it's hard when you're um, female. Uh, you know, I'm Gen X. I'm Gen X, so it might be different different for for you folks coming up twenty years behind me. But we grew up in the the sort of I was going to say bosom, which that'd be horrible, a cradle of the 1970s, the second wave. And so there was a lot of inequalities still in still in schools, still across the country. There's a lot of fighting going on for women's rights during this time. So there's a there's a there's a a conscious effort on my generation to look for female role models. If you wanted to be a career woman, if you wanted to be someone who wasn't just going just I don't like the word just because wife and mother <laughs> motherhood is a very important thing. So I don't like the word just there. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted a choice beyond that, you had to consciously look for role models. And, and, and uh, Lois Lane provided one of those in the in that time frame. All these other women on my list who are the unsuperpowered. <laughs> Are, are more recent, um, at least to to me, in terms of I, I wasn't really aware that they existed until the, the Iron Man movies sort of came out and I started digging into the Avengers stuff. But Pepper Potts and Maria Hill and Jane Foster, all of these women are not superpowered. Are we going to talk about Iron Man 3? Uh, well, there's the, there's the stint in the comic books where she puts on the suit for a while. But the majority of Pepper's time is without any sort of enhancement. It is just Pepper running a business because the CEO feels like he needs to be a vigilante. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you can picture a woman in a power suit with organizational skills, maybe that's her superpower is the organizational thing. Yeah, her, her I, well, in her suit in the comic books does not have, like, offensive capabilities, really. It's called rescue. And its main, it's defensive. It has a bunch of shields. Huh. It has a bunch of, you know, just repulsors, but like no missiles, none of that. A lot of like medical aid type things. I really want to ask why Pepper's not allowed to have offensive weaponry. <laughs> she, I think it might have been a preferred choice. She didn't want it. Oh, that could be too. That would that would be in character for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, how how organized must this woman be to run Stark Industries and keep on track of? you know keep on top of tony stark and to you know just you know be who she is it's she's amazing and one of those those role models i'm talking about in terms of the unsuper unsuperpowered and then jane foster along those same lines there here's a scientist another role model you know women you can be scientists it's okay and and that's you know maybe not something that these the younger generation really consciously thinks about but i have to tell you that 70s and 80s, women in math and science, well, f- frankly, it's still an issue we, to get more women into math and science. But back then, it was you were consciously told as a kid, no, 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 you're a girl. You're going to want to be in English. Well, back then, Jane Foster was a nurse. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. The, the astrophysicist Jane Foster is a re-envisioning for the Thor films. Oh. In the comic book, she was always a nurse to Thor's counterpart as a doctor. Um, later, later she became a doctor, and then later she also developed. She was one of the first, not maybe one of the first, but certainly one of the most prominent characters to develop breast cancer. Interesting. Did not know that. Of course, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. My, Did listen to our Thor episode. I really need to listen to the Thor episode. <laughs> but just that there's a there's a scientific role model. I mean, even the nursing profession, even the medical profession is is as a it's a, an outreach. You know, so there's a, another role model there too. And then again, we're not even touching Maria Hill at this point. But you know, here's a second command to Nick Fury. And you told me some things this week that I didn't know about Maria Hill. <laughs> well, her comic book counterpart is again very different. In fact, all of these these all these movie characters have been re envisioned. Pepper Potts, I don't think, was ever really 
tremendously romantically involved with Tony Stark. She was mostly his secretary, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. Um, but now they've created him and her as a love interest. And, you know, Jane Foster has been re-envisioned in her career. And Maria Hill, as originally in the comic book, she is a, a super spy, so not much difference there. But the way she pursues becoming top of S.H.I.E.L.D. is much more ruthless than it is in the, in the movies. In the movies, she is loyal to Fury. Very loyal. Anything he says, she will do. In the comic books, she is constantly berating his command. She's hmm. constantly questioning him. And eventually, he steps down and she becomes head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it is she kind of throws his name into the dirt a little bit because of that. So her personality is much different. And I don't know if we're going to see that personality develop as because she was prominent in Marvel Civil War. And Civil War hasn't come out yet. Okay, so keep an eye on Maria Hill. Mm-hmm. See, you know, but the, just the fact that there's a, a woman in a in a, a prominent role in a military based sort of organization is significant, you know, because all all of these these different potential career trajectories, you know, journalist, businesswoman, scientist, medical professional, and military, these are all professions that weren't necessarily open to women for a very long time. So these these are all heroines of a different sort um, and and role models in their own way. And the last person on this list, kind of on my little outline I've got here, is Agent Peggy Carter, who I was just introduced to with the Captain America movies, so you might have more backstory than I do. But uh, There's not much there. <laughs> there's not much there. She was never a real big prominent. She was a love interest for Captain America way back when, but, I mean, it was very short-lived, and there was a little bit of follow-up, but outside of that, not as certainly not as deep. As it is in the films, or nor in, and I know this is superhero movie podcast. I keep remembering reminding mm-hmm. myself of that. But she's also been the the the, the uh, featured player, the lead in the Agent Peggy Carter television series that was on this 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 winter. Uh, same actress. What's interesting about her as a character is that she sort of represents this generation of women who served in World War II largely without recognition, and then came out of that with nowhere to go but either back into the home or into some sort of service where they really faced on a daily basis a lot of discrimination. Probably the most famous real person to face this uh, would be Julia Child. Believe it or not, Julia Child was an officer in the OSS. She was in intelligence during World War II. She was a spy. Oh. (laughs) And uh, she came out and was at loose ends. She got married. Um, and started cooking. And that was that was Julia Child. I mean, she's brilliant. But that's an example of, of kind of that there were women in a lot of those behind the scenes positions that kind of had nowhere to go after the war was over as, as men came back and things were supposed to settle back down. And, and they really didn't. No, once you get a taste of that responsibility, why would you suddenly give it up? <laughs> why should you? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you? Why should you? You know, Peggy Carter is a, is, is a character I'm interested in watching develop more. I hope that they, they give us more of the, the television show because I'm really enjoying that, frankly. Mm-hmm. But it's also sort of disappointing, too, because that's that storyline where Steve Rogers is the love of her life. That's not really going away. And when he saw her back in Winter Shoulder, poor Peggy Carter had Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. Got to uh, give <laughs> Got to give all the... Old characters either dead or dying. Or they've lost their minds, which yeah. is sort of frustrating when you look at how many women actually get to be in the, the, the superhero arena and what happens to them in the end. Well, they get killed or they lose their minds. Yeah. Now, 
I don't know what that says if that's a gender thing so much as it's a tr- it's a superhero thing. I mean that there's a lot of death. There's a there's the common phrase um woman in a refrigerator. Woman in a refrigerator. Or put in the refrigerator. I believe it's the love interest dying as a way to tremendously motivate the plot. Oh, and doesn't that happen everywhere? Yes. And so everywhere. it was it's called Women. There was a famous Green Lantern comic book storyline where a character, a villain of the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, shoved his girlfriend into a refrigerator and killed her. Oh! And so people thought, like, that is ridiculous. Of course, it's going to motivate him to want to destroy his villain. But was that necessary in order to create an emotional pull? Well, that brings me to that first point. You know, a lot of the women that show up in the superhero comics, movies, whatever, they die. <laughs> They're victims. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they, the the rare few that rise to the top is the heroines. There's they they stick around, but. There's a lot of just throwaway women in these these films and in these comics. They just die because of character motivation reasons like that, like the woman in the refrigerator. I'm gonna have to look up that storyline because that <laughs> <laughs> really death by refrigerator. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of feminism articles regarding that storyline among uh, what Miss Marvel has gone through in her mm-hmm. life. Miss Marvel was at one point raped, and that that storyline was not handled tactfully by the writers. Mm. And then eventually they apologized for that with another comic book. (laughs) That's sort of like made up for that horrible, horrible reaction. She was like impregnated by an alien against her will. And all of the X-Men sort of treated her situation like a joke. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wrong. mm -hmm. And so then there was a follow-up comic where Ms. Marvel, like, flipped out on them. Like, that is not appropriate behavior. But that's just wow. an example. Well, in, you know, media producers, for the for the large part, you know, we, we look at the production of media in general, and we know that the gender balance among certain areas of production is not very good. There's There's more men than women in the media production of entertainment and especially in the comic book industry, there's more men than women. So when I, we see storylines like that, you have to wonder if that's, you know, misogynistic or if it's anti-feminist or if it's just simple ignorance <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, you know, how, how you look at something like that, how women are being betrayed in the comics. And of course, you know, there's the running joke that in the comic books themselves, the, the women have a, a completely unrealistic bust to waist ratio. Oh my goodness. Completely unrealistic. It, yeah, it's never getting fixed because, no. well, <laughs> it's no, be- no pun intended. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's simply because more men read comic books. I'm not saying yeah. women don't, I just more men do. And, you know, the more attractive a woman is, the higher selling that comic book is going to be. Well, yeah, it's hard to argue with that. It really is because that's that there's there's a the production and then there's the monetary business angle and that's what mm-hmm. happens. So we women who who like the general storylines, we kind of have to roll our eyes at some of that and let it go. Well, thank goodness in the <laughs> films they haven't really been hypersexualized. No, that's true. That's true. Um, they and they really could because some of some of as we get to the superpowered heroines in a minute, there's there's a, a lot of issues with regard to to sex and the sexualization and the objectification of these women. It could be a lot worse. Yes, it could be a lot worse in the films themselves. The unsuperhero powered women. Superhero powered, superpowered hero. Uh, civilians. Civilians. The civilians. The civilians. Although Agent Peggy Carter is. Oh, she's not a. Uh, she's well, not a civilian. Later, did become one ish. S- sort of retired to civilian life. Not really. 
she never really hmm uh was forced into <laughs> civilian life yeah well it'll be interesting to see if they develop that character anymore through the film they probably won't more than what we got with age of ultron it's amazing that she continues to appear yeah that they continue to use Haley atwell yeah. Be- I mean, honestly, after watching just the first Captain America, you could easily say, make the prediction that that character's done, that she's not going to show up. But she has shown up every time Steve Rogers has been on the screen since. She has. With the exception of Avengers 1. And even then, there was a mention there of the a, dance yeah, that he yeah. missed. And he still missed. had a yeah. picture of her. Yeah, there and was... there was still, actually, no, she was in flashbacks. Yeah. Well, well yeah. never mind. <laughs> <laughs> she's been in all of them. So it's it, and I think that's nice because there's there's a, a recognition that there there was a, there's another character there and another person there that that uh, young women can relate to, and I suspect that's probably a a a business move in part as as well as a story move, looking looking towards building that audience beyond the comic book guy mm-hmm. to everybody. You know, it's it's to make it family friendly, to make it female friendly, to increase your demographic. Exactly. I mean, that's how the business of media works mostly. Yes, I mean it's great and all to like if men are the more prominent buyers and to appeal to that. But I mean, you got to expand at some point, mm-hmm. otherwise you're just going to get stuck and look like misogynist ass. Yeah, precisely, <laughs> precisely. Which you know is not good for your bottom line, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what really sparked this whole idea for the, for this particular show was the the brief discussion we had on Iron Man two about Black Widow, uh, Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson in the films, uh, the Avengers film, and she is probably one of my favorite super. Not, I don't even know if I want to call her superheroed so much as really highly trained. Yes. Well, I mean, there are. If you if you count what Steve Rogers went through to get superpowers, if you count super drugs as superpowers, then we have to count uh, yeah. Natasha Romanoff or if you just classify it as like a really advanced anabolic steroid, <laughs> then it's technically not a superpower. Technically not, but Actually, you know we have to define superpower. Let's not get into it. Let's just call her superpowered. <laughs> She's superpowered. Okay, she for can... everything that she went through to get to where she is, we'll call her superpowered. Yes. She to survive. We started that talk because Black Widow's got a really interesting backstory that they hadn't gotten to in the, in the first few movies, the Avengers movies and Iron Man movie, Iron Man Two that she was in that they actually did get to somewhat in Age of Ultron. I don't know if we're doing spoilers for Age of Ultron or not. Oh, yet. it's a spoiler cast, and this will come out way after Age of Ultron okay. in the theaters. But the uh, you know how Natasha got her start. She was recruited as a, a young girl in Russia to the Red Room, and the Red Room was a clandestine intelligence organization that was actually recruiting orphaned young women with the idea of training them up to be assassins and spies um, during Cold War America. Natasha Romanoff is not a young woman. Natasha Romanoff's about Agent Peggy Carter's age. Yeah. Uh, so and yet she still looks young and beautiful, and that's the benefit of some of those some of those immortal super serum power things. Yeah, it's, you know, because in the comic books you're like, well, what did America made a super soldier serum? You're telling me no other country tried? <laughs> They all tried. They all tried, and they all have their own broken versions. Mm-hmm. Captain America was the perfect version, because <laughs> America. <laughs> <laughs> and, mm. and you know, Russia had their own broken, and, and so did Germany and stuff. 
Yeah, um, and the and the serum that they came up with in uh, the you know in the red room is 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 sort of an immortality serum, and not everybody was compatible with it. But uh, the women, the young girls, they they took these young girls out of their homes or from the orphanages, and they trained them to be graceful, to be uh, martial artists, to have all of the perfect traits of the femme fatale, which is you know it's an old concept, but in Cold War, in the in the Cold War globe, the femme fatale was ultimately Russian, was ultimately cold, and was ultimately there to, you know, kill the hero mm. or to corrupt the hero. And the whole idea behind the femme fatale was was she was going to be the hero's ultimate downfall. So the Red Room was a place where all these girls were being trained to be the femme fatale. Um, and Natasha was one of those, those girls out of the Red Room. Um, also... There was there's depending on which backstory you look at, the Winter Soldier was was a part of the Red Room project as well. So, um, you know, Natasha's character is is ultimately more about redemption. This is the femme fatale redeemed um, where her overall goal isn't the downfall of the hero. It's to support and kick the butt of anybody who's facing um, the hero as part of a team. And uh, in Natasha's backstory comes out in Age of Ultron and she points out that one of the final things, the final thing that the Red Room did to all of these girls before they sent them off into the world, their graduation ceremony was a sterilization ceremony. They deliberately sterilized these girls so that they would never have the possibility of having children because children could be the one thing that would turn them away from their path of the femme fatale. To turn, you know, if you had a child to care for, you couldn't go out and assassinate or turn heroes. That sends a message. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, you know, the other idea there is if you didn't, if you were sterile, you didn't have to worry about birth control, which made sex a big part of your, with sex as a huge part of your, your mission Seduction to corrupt the hero. Abilities. There you go. Seduction. You didn't want any reminders of that coming mm. around and about. That is a really interesting turn. And frankly, I'm not, wouldn't be surprised if certain things like that actually occurred during the Cold War Globe era in espionage. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't have any evidence for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But there was birth control available before the 50s, but it was it was um, sort of sporadic. It wasn't real, real. Uh, it was still a hot topic. Right? Well, it was still it's still a hot topic. Yeah. But yeah, it but was I mean, a huge even, topic. Like, the first appearance of it as a topic <laughs> was it was in the 50s and 60s as they were developing a, a working version of the pill. Mm hmm. Uh, and you can see that is is a, a theme in pop culture of the time, especially underground pop culture. It was it was a call to arms, basically. You know, if women weren't weren't uh, forced to be at home all the time to take care of the children, they could do other things with their lives. And so this this graduation ceremony with the red room, that's an acknowledgement that childbearing is in a significant portion of a, of a woman's life, and if she is required to, to bear children. There's not much else she can do while those children are of young age, childbearing, you know, mm-hmm. of young age. And that's certainly can't go out, kill people. No, no. And seduction becomes really tough when you've got a toddler hanging off one hip and a four year old down, you know. Oh, and that and, you know, stretch marks, <laughs> stretch marks. You can't have. Can you draw stretch marks in a comic book? I, I'm not. That's a great question. I think <laughs> there are some who can, and there are those who do not bother. <laughs> so this whole you can't have children if you're going to be a femme fatale, kind of is carried over. You can't have children if you're going to be a superheroine, and it's kind of an interesting message to send to a generation of young women. You can't be anything if you have to have children, or you you can't. Did I say that right? 
you, you have to make a choice between having children and having a career. And I know in my generation, a lot of my generation waited until their late 30s and early 40s to start having children and then have been finding out it's not so easy mm-hmm. the older you get because that is sort of presented as a choice. Um, it, it's the stigma. It's yeah. like, oh, 16 and pregnant, your life is ruined. It's not really. No. But everyone, I mean, why do you think they made TV shows about it? <laughs> Yeah. And children are important. And the job of motherhood is important. And sort of what's going on with the superhero trope is something that I'd like to explore more, actually, is from a research angle. But it's it's sort of uh, saying you can either have children or you can be a superheroine. You can either have children or you can have a career. I mean, doesn't um, that apply to the men as well? You know, I think it probably does on the superhero front because mm-hmm. I don't see any of the men having children either outside, I mean, yeah. outside of a couple. The, uh, the only two big answers to that are the Fantastic Four right. with two lovingly children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Franklin Richards has been around for a long time. And, well, he's pretty much a god. He doesn't even need anyone to look out for him because he's got <laughs> godlike powers. Yeah. And there's also Luke Cage and Power Woman with their – that one's very modern and very fresh. And they constantly get other of some of their superhero friends to be babysitters. Well, and the only other family that that I'm familiar with personally uh, with with the X-Men comics in particular is Magneto and his kids. Yeah. Uh, Two of whom appear in Age of Ultron, but they're not acknowledged as his kids. Can I not do that? (laughs) No, it's fine. Um, We've explained it. You know, you can't have the the copyright mix. I know. It still irritates me, though, Mm -hmm. because it's um, anyway. That's anyway. Um, besides the point, but there's but Magneto has at least three children. Two and maybe a third. Two and maybe a third. Pol- Polaris. You know, you have Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, which are which are his yes. twins with the gypsy uh, Romanov. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, not gypsy. Slovakian. Romani. <laughs> Romani. Romani. <laughs> and Polaris is. It's gone back and forth. Yeah. On whether or not in actual continuity she is Magneto's child. Polaris hasn't really showed up in a movie at all yet, though. But Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have shown up. Well, Quicksilver shown up twice now. And now you have Scarlet Witch being a new big prominent member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And she's the new member of the new Avengers team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that familial connection isn't acknowledged because of those copyright issues on the big screen. But there's a fractured family there. Magneto was not involved as far as I can tell, in any of these comics with actually raising those children. Mostly in manipulating them. Yeah. It's uh, in the earlier comics, he was he manipulated them into doing his work. And he's always shown up. There's always been alternate universes where, you know, Pietro and, and Wanda are his children. And he's and he sort of has them on his super team doing his crusade, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's never loving. It's using them to achieve his goals. Right. So it's really a fractured family kind of a, a concept there with Magneto, even though he's he's the only real father figure among the X-Men. Although uh, Xavier, Professor X does have a kid, too, in the comics, David. Oh, yeah, David. That's messed up. That's also a continuity hassle. It really is. It's, yeah, that and the whole Summers family is a mess. <laughs> yeah. Cyclops, Alex, Havoc, um, uh, Who Vulcan. are they brothers? Are they, yeah. you know, uh, Alternate universes. Who, uh, one's from the future, one's from the past. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's best not even to address the Summers family. <laughs> let's not even start. But let's just point, you know, come back to the bottom line that, that superheroes, women and men, aren't really allowed to have good, loving, strong family units. It just doesn't happen. Outside and, of the Fantastic Four. That's which, the only one. That's true. 
That's true. And look how many people it takes to raise those kids. Yeah, they have a giant family. <laughs> they do. So it's 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 really a mixed message for a lot of people. If 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 you're taking a message about family and whether you can have one and still do everything you want to do, you're getting a mixed message when you look to the superhero movies. Mm, good in point. general. You know, the other part of that, so many heroes and heroines have horrible backstories as in terms of things that went horribly wrong for them somewhere along the line and that inspired them to become truth justice the american way almost half of them are orphans yeah again how are you going to have a strong family unit if you didn't have one to begin with yeah everything is uh, there's no easier motivation than killing a a loved one in front of a child's eyes (laughs) and how often does that happen so many times you could just rattle them off probably and the oh, yeah. first one that pops to my head is daredevil matt murdoch uh, batman oh there robin we go. robin superman his whole his whole <laughs> planet blew up wonder woman's mother turned into stone at one point for a long time green lantern's dad in the in the film at least died in front of him howard uh, Stark. Flash, his his mother died in front of him yep I, almost every single member of the justice league <laughs> and and then I don't know about the the Marvel side. Yeah, Howard Stark. There's yeah, there's tons. There's just tons. So again, mixed messages. You, there's these these her, you, Can you be have a family or can you be a hero? That's that's it. That's that's the choice that is apparent at least on the, on the surface of all of these these uh, these films. And it was really interesting to me to come just quickly back to Lois Lane. How in the Brandon Ralph movie um, with super you know, the Superman movie, Lois Lane had a kid. By Clark Kent. Oh yeah, Superman Returns. And Superman, thank you. Superman Returns is trying to. These last ones just make mm-hmm. me mad. So They've all I've, got the same like, names. Because <laughs> there's a Batman Returns, but that was like 30 years ago. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it was an interesting choice, and in a lot of the folks who are original fans of Lois and Clark, um, and that pairing were woohoo! You know, they acknowledged the relationship. They've that got the, a kid. That they can have a child. Yeah, that they can have a child. Um, Superman's an interesting character in a lot of ways, but yeah, and that was a question and has been posed since his inception: is is he able to have children with a human woman? And there's that famous Carl Sagan essay about Superman's sperm being more powerful than an exploding bullet would probably kill any woman he tried to sleep with, and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I don't know; it was an interesting choice, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So that whole issue of whether. Whether women were allowed to have families, it's also whether, you're right, the men are allowed to have families, whether it's a choice between being a hero or being a family person. Mm-hmm. So um, why must strong women be too dangerous was one of my – one of the questions that I was kind of thinking about in the last couple of weeks as I was thinking about this topic in general because we get to where are more superpowered heroines. Well, there's a lot of them in the X-Men universe in particular. Uh, we've got Phoenix. We've got Rogue. We've got Storm. And these women have uh, really dangerous powers yeah. when you stop to think about it. Is it possible to have any sort of healthy relationship with any one of these women? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> Storm tries with Black Panther. I suppose that's the most successful. But the Phoenix one? No. Mm-hmm. Phoenix off and on with Scott Summers, as well as Rogue, just anyone. Well, I mean, her whole backstory, she kills her first boyfriend, practically. Pretty much. With a kiss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'll mess you up. (laughs) Well, yeah, that'll mess you up. I mean, these superpowers, they're they're always showing a a kind of a trade-off between having great power or having love, security, and a family. It's a really lonely existence to be a superhero if you really think about it. (laughs) Getting me depressed. (laughs) I've always wanted to be a superhero, but now I know the consequences. (laughs) Sorry. 
Sorry, I have to point out the consequences. It's part of part of my job, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Rogue in particular is such a sad, sad story. Um, and and I've I've read a lot of fan fiction where where uh, fans are trying to come up with ways where she can still have a relationship and not really worry so much about the whole "I'm going to suck your life out" thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't ever work very well. There's 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 a lot of compensation that would have to be made. And you wonder, do we just throw our hands in the air and say we're done, or how do we make that work? Well, you see, you have you almost have a correlation between how like happy and um, uplifting characters are correlated with the amount of actual raw power they have. Hmm. Where you have like Shadowcat, Kitty Pride, she can phase through walls. Uh, Dazzler, Jubilee, they can you know they just shoot light out of their hands, and they're very upbeat characters. They're very teen spirited, and one like a couple of them pop stars, pretty much. But then you get higher up the realm, and you have Rogue, who's very serious about whom she can be around, and Storm, who is constantly serious because if she isn't, she'll lose control of her powers. And then at the top, you have the godlike powers of Phoenix, who at one point becomes. A evil god that must be vanquished <laughs> by an alien peacekeeping force, and what? even well, yeah. Wolverine in the movies. Well, well, yeah, Wolverine's an interesting character, but it, it's it's really interesting that all of these women—the more powers they have, the more dangerous they are, the more lonely they are, and mm. and the less likely they are to have any sort of normal, regular, normal being. You know, relative. subjective and relative, yeah. but whether they're they're going to have a, a a relationship that's meaningful to them, personal and meaningful, it's it's an interesting, an interesting kind of a comp- compensatory strategy. And and I, I say strategy because it all kind of traces back to that concept of the femme fatale, the dangerous woman who cannot have children but can corrupt the hero. So super powered heroines. On one hand, we 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 say I, I say these things about we have to we have to look about look at their family. We have to look at the fact that they're alone. They're dangerous. They're maybe the butt of the joke, maybe not the butt of a joke. But on the other hand, you also have to look at all of these women and point out that they are super powered. They are an alternative choice. They are kind of a role model. Young women who are growing up today. We have a lot of other kinds of role models. But what role models do we have? We have. Uh, the Kardashians, <laughs> or we have Hillary Clinton, we have Michelle Bachman. You know, we're looking looking for prominent women. Who do we have? Did you just list Michelle Bachman as an like a role model? Well, from a perspective, <laughs> you look at prominent women of political power, and you have to put Bachman up there, along with Hillary Clinton, along with um, Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama, who's one of my personal heroes, I love her to pieces. Uh, you, you have to put these women up there. The reality, who do we have? Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of – we've got some smart women, but we've got a lot of vapid women. Would we add this these, these superheroines um, and we start to see some, some real movement forward? You know, not everybody's perfect. There's not a lot of male heroes that are perfect today either when you think about it. But it does provide young women some other places to look for some other – you know, I can do that. I can go into the military. I can be a scientist. I well, can be a – Reporter. Yeah. Can... One of the one of the big questions is when is the glass ceiling getting broken on females and superheroes uh, movies? Females and superhero movies because there has been standalone female as a main character superhero movies. They've almost all have tanked financially. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you've created this financial risk as well as this sort of mixed with the cultural risk 
of of putting a woman in a power position and what that does to viewers. Yeah. And so now we have this new wave of superhero films. Everyone's creating this giant new expanded universe and we still haven't had, I don't know how many have come out by now, at least 10. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a headlining woman in any of We don't have a them. headlining woman in yeah. any of them. The next one, we are expected to get a couple. We are expected to get Wonder Woman. We are. We are expected to get Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. Um, and we are expected, actually the next one coming up is Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, the television show. Oh. Um, and we've gotten Peggy Carter yeah. as a miniseries. Yeah. It's and a little bit a of a series. Yeah. It's, it's kind a of little, a step down. Yeah. It is a bit of a, just a little baby step towards the goal. It is. It is a baby step it's towards the goal. not full commitment. Well, and what's interesting, you point out that the the uh, films that featured women in the lead didn't do as well at the box office as some of the other ones. You've got to wonder if there's a cultural issue with that, in part because this, the comic book audience is still largely male. Yes, and they were really poor put-together films. You're talking about Catwoman, yeah. Elektra, uh, just to name a couple. Yeah, those are the, the two that I can think of off the top of my head but i have hopes for wonder woman but it's, but it's already lost um one director it's got a it's got a new director and gal gadot has not proved herself to be an all-star actress unfortunately i had to look her up <laughs> fast and furious or oh. mission impossible oh her so yeah i'm looking her up right now <laughs> i'm talking mm-hmm. yeah okay so she's a model who made her film debut in the fourth film of the fast and furious Interesting. The, the, the early stills, of the pictures of, of her as Wonder Woman are really looking – she's looking really sharp. Yeah. DC's really good at putting out marketable material. They are. Now, can they back it up? Yes. That's going to be the question with, with the Wonder Woman it's, a, it's been a long contested debate on where is the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman has been put up in the pantheon of DC, like the Trinity. You mm-hmm. have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. But when you look at Wonder Woman's media exposure, it is tremendously lacking. Yeah. Compared to the other two, like you have, you can name probably fifteen movies between Batman and Superman. Not a single Wonder Woman feature-length film. The only thing there is was the Linda Carter nineteen seventies Wonder Woman show, and the attempt to revive that in two thousand twelve when they had a failed pilot for Wonder Woman that starred, I believe, Adrian Palinicki. Palinicki, yeah, yes. she's on the Agents of Shield, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, you know, to. Be nostalgic for a second. Wonder Woman in the 70s, that show was awesome <laughs> for the young girls in the 70s. We played Wonder Woman and roll, you know. The Wonder our, Woman twirl is iconic. It is iconic. And, you know, I had a clothesline rope that I used for my lasso of truth. Genius. And, yeah, I made my little brother tell the truth and told him that he couldn't tell the truth if he had the rope around him. I mean, he had to tell the truth if he had the rope around him. It was impossible <laughs> for him to not. I think it probably traumatized the poor guy. I should actually <laughs> ask him about that later. It, the, the twirl was iconic. And, you know, everybody argued over who would be Wonder Woman and who would be her little sister, Wonder Girl. Um, oh, who was, yeah, Wonder Girl was another continuity mess. Yeah, that was, Because there's know. three of them and they were kind of the same as Wonder Woman, the exact same person, but not. Yeah. Different because, reality, retconned into something different. It's a mess. <laughs> it's it's a total mess, but the show is awesome. And it was fun to have a heroine to to play. Otherwise, you know, girls don't tend to play as, you know, well, I don't know maybe they do today, the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, but when I when I All was All they a, get is Black Widow. Yeah. I mean, there isn't really and now they have Scarlet Witch, which yep. is nice. Which is a but she's still the only other Mm-hmm. woman on the team and unless you want to play as jane foster pepper Potts, or 
You know what? I would really – it would warm my heart to see a little girl want to play Agent Carter. I would love that. I would <laughs> love that. That would be great to see. That would be great to see because Agent Peggy Carter uh, – she's, she's the best one we got. She's the best one we got and the most true-to-life heroine of all of them, I think, that we have at this point in our superhero movie-verse. Yes. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up today then with that nice little lifting note. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced in the studios of KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota. If you want to tweet any questions to us or just continue the discussion on this show's topic, follow us on Twitter at SuperheroMC. Also, to make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so you can catch every episode as it comes out. And like us on Facebook to keep up to date with us throughout each week. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Amy. It was fun to be here. Um, I'm so glad we did this, this fun little superheroine episode. I learned so much <laughs> about the cultural relevance oh, of women in superpowered roles and unsuperpowered roles. But that'll do it today. So for the Superhero Movie Club, I'm Michael Maurer. I'm Amy Lauders. I hope you all have a super week. 